welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Welcome everyone to Manufacturing Talk Radio. My name's Tim Grady. We're glad to be here with you today on this Exciting Tuesday, we've got a lot of information for you today, but before we get to our guest, we're going to speak on a couple of different topics. Let me jump to my co-host, Lou Weiss. Lou, how are you today? Doing great, doing great. Thank you. Uh, how's Perfect. Wisconsin doing? Wisconsin is doing wonderful. The, the view out the back window is of a lake, so uh, I have a nice big backyard to plant. Is that like the big pot to make cheese in? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, enough, enough of the... Enough of the horsing around. Uh, last week, last week we uh, had um, um, Professor Adriana Sanford on, who is our uh, senior international correspondent for corporate compliance and ethics. She's also a clinical associate professor at the UP Carey School of Business. She is a dean's visiting scholar of Georgetown University Law Center. And uh, she's got more titles, but I don't have enough time. So uh, she was talking about uh, legal and ethical issues uh, regarding Brexit, uh, privacy and data protection, and the transatlantic flow of data and how this all interplays with manufacturing. Uh, It was a great show, a lot of information. She's one of the brightest people I know, and uh, we could probably make a – a five-hour show every time she gets on. But uh, she's terrific, and she really knows her stuff. I strongly recommend those interested in uh, the Brexit issue to go to MFG Talk Radio, mfgtalkradio.com, and listen to last week's show. Uh, that said, uh, let's talk a little, a couple of news items seems as though that the manufacturing world seems to approve of Trump's selection of Governor Mike Prince as vice president, according to Jay Timmons, president and CEO of NAM, the National Association of Manufacturers. Uh, he states that uh, Prince has a proven executive experience and expertise, the understanding of the legislative process uh, when he was in Congress. He was very strong in Congress regarding manufacturing. Actually, he accrued a 90% lifetime voting record with NAM in regards to manufacturing, which is terrific. I guess it won't take much time for Donald to change his mind about those types of issues, but we'll have to wait and see on that. Uh, Additionally, uh, Mr. Uh, Timmons states that uh, uh, Prince supports pro-growth tax reform, regulatory reform, energy and healthcare policies, also the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is a little surprising, all of which Trump is against. Maybe he'll come around and cha- uh, change his mind, but we'll have to wait and see about that. Uh, another uh, individual, Richard Trumka, AFL-CIA president, disappointed in Princess's uh, shortfalls in protecting equal opportunity for all citizens. He hopes that the combined ticket may open up their eyes and hearts to support 12 million men and women who make things in the United States. That's a novel approach that we make things. Um, To continue, um, manufacturing up and down. You know, we all see and hear the talking heads about this is good, this is bad, these numbers are up, these numbers are down. So I happened to run across a a couple of uh, clips regarding U.S. manufacturing. And and both both these clips were actually from today. U.S. manufacturing posts stronger gains than forecasted in June. Depending upon which report was up, there were several numbers. One was 0.4, another was 0.6, another was 0.3. And in, in any case, they're all up, including the Institute of Supply Management's PMI index that showed up to 53.2 with new orders for manufacturing at 57, which is quite high. 
However, as a friend uh, economist tells us periodically, the other report that shows the other side is the machine, machine cutting tool demand falling, reflecting weakness as of May. This is a leading indicator for what's coming six to nine months down the road. So it's hard to figure, are you up or are you down? Are you heading up or are you heading down? The indication here is that we're, we're fairly strong now, but the next six, six to nine months we may go into a dip. Um, anyone willing to put money on this bet? I'm not. Another item regarding uh, skills, skill sets and uh, not enough uh, uh, skilled people to take, take jobs in manufacturing. This is a rather interesting story regarding a high school in Arizona who uh, implemented a program for high school students to build aircraft parts for passenger jets. And they do this after school hours and during the summer. The student work after school, they get paid, they're trained and certified by a, one of the uh, vocational schools out there. And they work at Desert View High School Lab, uh, mostly for the summer. This is not an entry-level job. This is a career path to build on. About time somebody's really doing something about this and getting the, getting the idea across that not everybody has to go to college, go broke, go into debt, and then move back with mommy and daddy. These kids come out with their certification. They can go to further training in vocational schools, technical schools, community colleges, and come out in two years with a $70,000, $90,000 job and not be in hop. So uh, there's, there's some interesting numbers uh, about, and uh, uh, some of these things uh, you might want to Google yourself and uh, see the way the, the way the real facts lay and not listen to all the talking heads. So on that note, I turn it over to Tim. Today we're going to be talking with a manufacturer who has a rather interesting topic, and that is integrating old technology and new technology. Well, good. Well, we will get right with uh, Mike Edelstein. Mike is with Potomac Photonics, and I'm going to have Mike explain what that is and what they do. Mike, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. I appreciate it, Tim and Lou. Well, we appreciate Our having pleasure. a manufacturer on where we're talking with somebody who's got boots on the ground. Mike, why don't you explain to our listeners what Potomac Photonics is and what they do? Uh, that, that'd be great. Potomac Photonics, we're an advanced manufacturing, type, uh, ma manufacturing company. We focus on making really small things using a variety of technologies, some of it old, some of it new. But our goal is to help our customers who require very small features come up with a way to manufacture both in prototyping and production. Like what kind of small items and how small? Yep. We work. We can get down to about one micron, and so the diameter of your hair is 75 microns. And the tools that we use to do this are using lasers. Uh, we do 3D printing, which is some of the newer technologies. We uh, have micro CNC. CNC is an older technology, but we, we do it down into the micro scale. And we also do other things like molding and hot embossing and assembly. But uh, some of the things that we do, we require uh, microscopes. Um, some, we, we like to say sometimes, if you can see it, we didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what is a one micron anything? A, a spring? A, a part? What yeah, would it be like? Believe it or not, we do lots of hole drilling. The hole drilling, it, it goes across so many different in industries. In the medical and biotech industry, we have one application which we're laser drilling holes that are 1.9 microns. Remember, the diameter here is 75 microns, plus or minus 0.3 microns, and it's 25,000 holes per part. And this is for a disposable item um, that pharmaceutical companies use to develop their drugs. And the holes that we make signify ion channels, which are the passageways into the cells, and they're able to test their drugs out 
by um, using our disposable products in their machines. Ah, I didn't realize that they were milking pathways into the cell. Yep, and then the other thing is is that, um, you know, as I said, whole drilling spans so many different industries. So that's in medical and biotech. In the electronics and automotive industry, we're doing a lot of really small holes for backlighting. Um, a lot of the new vehicles that are going to be going onto the market in the next three or four years are going to have all metallic displays, and we're going to have our very small holes in it, invisible to the eye, but when they need to back and when they need to see something, they'll have an LED light behind it, which will give messages and other things to the driver. Just going to be like yeah, a heads up and click? There is a driver. Yep, that's right. <laughs> Assuming there is a driver, that's right. <laughs> is that going to be like a heads up display, Mike? It's going to be like, yeah, it's going to be basically anywhere on your dashboard. You're not going to be able, you won't see it unless it basically then the light comes onto it, but it's a very clean finish in either aluminum or type of metal. And so, so again, to signify the size that we're dealing with, these are so, these holes are so small that you can't see them with the visible eye, but when they're backlit, then you're able to see the signal. Mike, not as for companies. Not to ask for company secrets, but uh, drilling 25,000 holes, that's going to take a long time or almost no time at all. Yep. Yeah, believe it or not, we can do 25,000 holes in just a couple minutes. And um, really? part of that comes from the fact that we were raised on building capital equipment and machinery before we evolved into a contract manufacturer. And so all the systems that we build in-house, we do ourselves. I mean, all the systems that are in-house here – most of them, especially the lasers, we build ourselves, and we customize them, and we come up with ways to do things smaller and faster, and that really helps us keep ahead of the game and really push the limits of technology because, you know, in order to really make manufacturing competitive again, we've got to come up with ways to manufacture things that can't be done in other places, and, and, and a lot of the things that we're doing right now can't be done overseas. Um, Mike, give us a, a couple of examples of uh, integrating old and new technology, which is what uh, we're talking about today, yep. and uh, I guess you're faced with you know, with Potomac Photonics. Absolutely. And so, you know, in terms of using some of the older technologies, you know, there are going to be features and sizes that aren't as small as what we do. And so we'll take some old technology, be it some CNC-type technology or, you know, some regular conventional drilling technologies to make things, and then combine it with the newer technologies such that you don't have multiple processes. So you don't have to go to one shop and get one thing made and then bring it to the other. So we like to think of ourselves as more as a toolbox for the engineer, and we take different technologies and build them into the same systems, whether it be some of the conventional types of things that you've used and then some of the newer technologies that we have. And one other example is, is like with 3D printing, which is a newer technology, 3D printing is great, but it can't do a lot of the things that maybe some of the lasers can do in terms of getting to the scale factor size. And so what we'll do is, is we'll 3D print 75% of the part, and then we'll use lasers and CNC to machine the rest of the part. Because as we've learned, one tool typically doesn't fit all when it comes to doing some of these newer applications. And so we've got to find ways to combine, utilize, and leverage them. Mike, uh, just curious, um, you know, we have the uh, – Lou and I deal with this all the time where people think that manufacturing is dark, dirty, and dangerous. I get the feeling that your people are almost working in clean rooms. Uh, what's, what's the shop look like at Potomac Photonics? It, it is an extremely clean environment. As I said, we deal with, you know, 70% of our business is in biotech and medical. And when you're dealing with such small features – especially holes, if, if, it, if it is dirty in there, the holes can get clogged. And so when it comes to polymer machining and, and, and ceramics, it's a very clean environment. But, you know, when we get to metals and stuff, you still have to deal with cutting fluids and other things lots of times. And so it's not as clean, but it certainly is not like, uh, you know, the typical run-of-the-mill manufacturing facility that you've seen in the past. Uh, but I will say this, one of the things also that we have to take into account for as well is vibration, because as you can imagine, when you're dealing with such small features, you know, any little uh, disturbance can cause the part to go out of spec. And so our, 
our facility is on a very hard slab and, and, and in an area where there's not a lot of vibration because we can't have any of that. Coming from a manufacturing background, uh, uh, Mike, uh, I'm curious at what the thickness is that these 25,000 holes with that small diameter can be drilled or laser cut through. That's a great a question. That, that is a really great question, and we deal with that issue all the time, and it's an area that we're always looking to improve upon. But when you're dealing with uh, typically holes that are about one to two microns, the maximum thickness at this stage that we could go through is about one millimeter, um, you know, which is about 1,000 microns. Um, but we're always looking for ways to try and um, push those limits and, and go thicker and, and deeper. And there are some ways that we've come up with where we're able to move the, the part in the Z-axis to be able to then drill even thicker materials. But, um, you know, that's an area that we're, is certainly going to have to continue to be part of our R&D program because customers are de demanding thicker parts with smaller holes. Yeah, I would think that would also open up uh, a whole new market for you, uh, perhaps even by industries uh, who would need uh, the thicker uh, pieces of uh, material. Uh, do you do also other than uh, metals? Uh, you do plastics? We do plastic. Uh, we, we can drill almost any material in-house, actually, glass, ceramic, plastics. Um, you know, the way to do that with the laser is, is you've got to have different wavelengths, and so at the lower wavelength lasers, like in the UV range, that's very good for plastic and glass machining. As you get to the higher wavelength lasers in the IR, that's good for metal and ceramics. And so we try to have all different types of systems in-house to be able to deal with all different types of materials. I will bring up that, you know, uh, uh, getting back to old and new technologies, one way for us to do thicker materials is we can use some older technologies back to the drill and the lathe and, and, and the CNC to make some counter bores or larger, you know, take the material in certain areas where we want to drill the smaller holes and make a counter bore, drill away some of the material, and then in that, you know, get to the desired thickness that we can get those small holes in it, and then we'll machine the smaller holes using the laser. Oh, that's clever. Good, good yep. thought. Good thought. Are yep. you doing that now? We do, absolutely. Yep. So if I wanted to do a quarter-inch counter hole... You can do that, and then you could do that. We would do it right, right, and then go to a smaller technology. So we would bring that down to something that would be good size, you know, good thickness to get a very small hole, and then we would machine the holes with it. And all of our systems have vision technology. So some of our customers do the counterbore, some of the older technology themselves, or they might be machining houses that can get down to a certain size. So they'll do it, and then send us the part, and then we'll use our vision to um, go to the right location and drill the smaller holes. Just for the sake of our uh, guests today, uh, I, the industries that you are in, I, I know you're in medical, you're doing some aerospace, uh, what other, and probably automotive, are there yep. other industries that you're, you're dabbling in or that you're yeah. targeting? Uh, we're, we're, we do work in the electronics industry, especially we're doing some small parts, microelectronics, um, alternative energy is becoming a big area because we can do machining of silicon and other things related to solar and fuel cells. Um, so that's certainly an area that's going to be growing. You know, we're always out there looking for next-generation type things. And, you know, we have two missions here. Number one is to fulfill, you know, all the requests and requirements of our customers when it comes to micro. Number two is to continually develop new technologies so that we can stay competitive and be on the leading edge. And so we invest uh, – a good portion of our, our profits into reinvestment of developing new technologies. Does your uh, company, uh, per se, have competitors that do uh, the same or similar things that you, you, you folks do? Absolutely. There are, you know, there are several, other home, several other companies, and, and there are more coming in the field that are focusing more on the micro. And, again, that's where we kind of but, – but they might be in one area. So it could be just lasers that they're in and other could be in micro CNC that they're in. Part of what we're trying to do is, is build a toolbox of all the different technologies and not only be able to machine it, but another area that's actually become a, a big thing for us is assembly, um, taking these small things and building them into to parts for our customers. And we do that either using um, pressure-sensitive adhesives, 
some micro-welding technologies and even some solvent bonding between different types of plastics. And so there's many different areas you can get into, but um, the good thing is that everything's getting smaller, as you know, and so I, my feeling is that there's a lot of business out there for a lot of different companies, or if people want to get into it, I think it's a great area to get into. Well, before we forget to ask you, and being that it's appropriate at this moment, I think that uh, we ought to get our listeners to know about you first. So why don't you give us your uh, uh, website address and or email so uh, they can get that information and go visit your uh, website direct. I appreciate that. That would be great. Our, our website, and we got lots of pictures of all the different things that we do. I think you'll notice that we, we post all the time is, www.potomac, like the river, P-O-T-O-M-A-C. Then you have a dash or a hyphen, laser, L-A-S-E-R, dot com. And my personal email address is M Adelstein. that's A-D-E-L-S-T-E-I-N, at potomac-laser.com. Like that's a, it's a fascinating technology. Uh, what challenges did you run across between old and new technology trying to get things integrated? You know, again, it's some of the things that you talked about related to thickness of materials and, and just trying to come up with combining the technologies. Um, some of the older technologies work at different platforms than the newer technologies, and so it does require some reverse engineering or requires taking some, you know, customization into building systems that are able to handle some of the older things and, and computer. Um, believe it or not, one of the big areas that we deal with issues when you're combining some older technologies with newer technologies is just operating systems. We'll have some older technology systems that are on Windows 95 or 98, and then we have newer technologies that can only run on, you know, newer operating systems, but we want to combine the motion together, and so we've got to come up with ways from a computer perspective so that both of them can talk with each other. But, um, you know, and, and that's, it, 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 as things become, I think, more automated and they become, you know, more um, open source and seamless, that's going to become easier. So this is sounding more like a uh, Star Trek machine shop than a your grandfather's machine shop. It is. And, you know, manufacturing is changing like that. I mean, that's the great thing about manufacturing now is that really it's becoming more accessible to everybody. And so if somebody comes up with an idea, you know, these aren't huge production line systems anymore. I mean, most of our systems are the size of, um, you know, a standard conference room table or, or your desk. And you can fit a lot of different technologies in a small space, and you can and then open it up to lots of different people. So it's, it's completely evolving, um, you know, as things become more automated, it's going to change. And really, you know, our, our perspective is, is it's all moving forward. We're not going to move backward when it comes to manufacturing. We're not going to go back, like you said, to the old-type large production lines. In order for us to be competitive, we've got to come up with things that are um, a lot more um, automated and have uh, better technology. Do you have uh, any specific issues uh, regarding the skill gap uh, in getting employees that uh, are trained well? That's a, that's a great question as well. I mean, that's, you know, if you, if you go and read, and I know you guys are aware of this, you know, they're, they're predicting that there's going to be millions of manufacturing jobs in the future, that are, and even right now, that are unfilled because you can't find people to, uh, to run the newer technologies. And so really I think the challenge before us is, is, again, not bringing back older technology but training the workforce for newer technology. And so the way that we've gone about doing that is, is we first we've created a partnership with a community college that's right next to us, and um, they have a fab lab there, and we work very closely with them and help them. And what they do is, is they're also a very good pipeline for us in terms of finding employees and people that are trained. Um, we also moved our company to the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, because we knew that we'd be able to get a pipeline of people, engineers, and other things that would be able to come in here and intern and work with us. And um, we also have an internal training program where people can come in. Uh, you know, we have several people here that, you know, got their high school degrees, 
came in and started as technicians, and we were able to train them over a couple of years, and now they're working as engineers. And so what I basically say to, to, to the people that are here and, and to students and even to my kids is, is focus now on the software portion of it, the CAD portion of it, um, learn that aspect of it, and then you can be trained on the system. But if you do that, there are going to be so many different opportunities and so many different fields that you can get into. Well, well said, Mike. And uh, I actually uh, uh, wanted just to mention to you, are you familiar with manufacturingday.com? I am, yep, yep. Okay. Uh, if not, uh, that would certainly seem like a, uh, a something Good. that you should look into. Yep. And uh, perhaps open it. I think it's the first Friday in October. And, yep. And... Uh, Last year, they had 2,400 companies that yep. opens up to uh, students and parents and counselors and school teachers and such, yep. just to see what a real manufacturing plant looks like. And this sounds like something perfect to you. No, it's a perfect thing. I know that the community college CCBC and the Fab Lab was involved in that, and, and we're looking at Manufacturing Month as well because we want to, you know, one of the things we're looking at related to the Manufacturing Day is I think it was on a weekday, and we want to make sure, I mean, so many high school students who are out there and thinking about the future really should look into manufacturing and CAD and other things because it's, it's going to be, it, it, it is a growing field and demand out there. Um, again, looking forward in terms of the newer technologies rather than, um, you know, the past. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, last year, uh, Tim and I, uh, we rounded up 15 high school students, got them on a school bus, and took them down to New Jersey Institute of Technology and uh, spent a half a day there, and then we wound up going to a couple of manufacturing plants so that these kids could see what it's really all about. And uh, I know one, one kid in particular who's my godson, uh, is now beginning to think in terms of uh, vocational rather than college. So uh, one little event can change the course of a human life. Big time. And, you know, and, and it's the perception, too. I mean, I'm, I'm on the advisory board of uh, the Fab Lab, and, you know, a lot of it is just even getting out to the parents and talking to them because, again, everyone has this idea that the manufacturing is kind of, you know, you're going to be standing in an assembly line and you're going to be doing one thing. But it's really much more than that now, especially related to the computer and digital fabrication field. And, um, mm -hmm. again, it, there's so much crossover in terms of once you learn digital fabrication and CAD of all the different types of industries that you can get into. And I'm going to give you one little secret, too. One area that we've been able to recruit from where actually they are it, turning out to be great recruits for manufacturing is from the Maryland Institute College of Arts, an artist because they get into digital fabrication and they see things from a different way, it turns out that that's extremely portable to get into the manufacturing field. And we found so far, we've been very lucky with a couple of graduates from there that have come here and have fit into what we do very easily. Well, that's a, that's a real find. Yeah. Yeah, you're Mike. Uh, you were you were smart to partner with a community college. I've been preaching for oh 25 years that businesses need to get more connected to community colleges and even universities. And Lou and I have had several conversations about you know what's a kid to do? Do you graduate from high school? Do you go on to college, which is where most parents want to want to push you? But the reality is that you graduate from college a hundred grand in debt, or you get a two-year degree from a community college or a tech school, and you're making sixty grand a year. Yeah, it, it's that. I mean, I cannot agree with you more. It is an absolute. It, it's it's uh, at the community college here. The, it's a community college of Baltimore County. Um, basically, it's three hundred dollars a course. And the courses, you know, in, are, 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 are basically the same as a four-year college, at least for the first couple of years. And you can get an associate's. They have a brand-new, they're the only one in the state right now with a digital fabrication program. And, you know, they've also got a lot of different machining, automotive, and airline. And it's a great starter place for people. And, and as I said, you would, for, for kids that aren't uh, thinking four-year to start off with, it's such a great place to start. 
and many businesses from there, you know, you can get recruited from and be making fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year. Mike, unless you, you want to go in, unless you want to go into underwater welding for one hundred and fifty a year. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> you better take Mike, a scuba class. At the... That's that's for sure. Yeah. Mike, do you do any work with uh, or provide any uh, tuition reimbursement to any of your employees, particularly? You know, they come out of high school and they don't have any kind of degree at all? We we are really into education. We feel like that that, again, is the entry way to so many different things. And so we do do offer um, tuition reimbursement here. We also have set up a thing with the community college now where we're sending three of our employees to their digital fabrication program to get their AA in that. And we're also going to be um, giving three scholarships to um, high school students in need that would like to go ahead and take the program as well. Um, we also, as I said, moved on to the UMBC campus here, and we've established a scholarship with them. And finally, you know, because we, we know that really ground zero for new manufacturing and new technologies are the universities, we have an education manufacturing initiative here at Potomac where when students are working on projects, um, we will do it for them at a much reduced rate uh, to be able to, um, so that they can get their projects done. All we ask for in return is they do a little write-up or provide a picture for our website. So you'll see a lot of blogs or other things on our websites that are coming from universities, which is a great thing because most of the customers we deal with in the commercial side, we have to sign non-disclosure agreements, so we can't share some of the things that we do. But, um, you know, we know that outreach is important, and this has been a great way to is a win-win for the college students to be able to do their work and research and the professors, but also communicate some of the things that we're doing out in the community. And I will mention that we've done uh, several jobs for the New Jersey Institute of Technology, and that's a great place. Yes, it is. Well, Mike, yes. you, uh, you have any, how many employees in your shop? We're up to about 25 employees right now, and we're growing at about 20% a year. So you are a small but smart manufacturer. I mean, you guys That's are really on the leading edge of so many things that Lou and yep. I have talked about on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Yeah, we, we, we're basically, we run seven days a week, um, 20 hours a day. We have shifts of four days at 10 hours each. And, um, you know, we, we, we look for ways, again, we want to, we're continuing to hire. And don't, we don't think that automation is replacing projects. Automation is making us more competitive, but we're training up our employees to be smarter and better so that they can be doing other things rather than just assembly line type work. You know, a lot of the uh, uh, naysayers out in the, in the world say that all of this technology, technology stuff, robotics, advanced manufacturing, are taking jobs away from uh, the populace, and is the furthest thing from the truth. Uh, the buggy whip manufacturer also probably said that, too, that yep. automotive <laughs> is going to be taking jobs. And I guess it did, but I'm sure the buggy whip guys probably went up to Michigan and uh, took some training courses on how to put together Model T Fords. Uh, yep. But the, the the concept that... There's misdiagnosed uh, comments made about the way these economies, the manufacturing economies, are going. And people buy into it. And some of this has to do with why uh, uh, American men uh, have stopped looking for work. They feel as though that they're, uh, they're out of job, they're too old, uh, they can't tra you can't train a new uh, dog new tricks. And all of that is uh, is untrue, and uh, we need to be able to get to these people who are uh, unemployed and unemployable, uh, which is what my last show is about. So it kind of all of this blends together, and it's one great big ball uh, called manufacturing. It encompasses everything we've talked about, everything that Tim and I have talked about for three years and a lot of things that you also brought up today, which I, I think is terrific and sounds like you're doing a great job. I appreciate that. And, I, again, I can't agree with you more. I mean, all of this talk about, um, you know, it all goes back to 
and especially the, the, the men and the people that are out of, of, of um, work right now, it's all about training and looking forward. And, and, and part of the job description these days should be continuous improvement, not only on the assembly line and the manufacturing line, but in each individual. And if they continually improve and they continually go and do education, they're going to be so much more marketable because as we started the program off with, you know, there are going to be millions of manufacturing jobs out there. There are so many unfilled jobs right now, and it's just a matter of getting these people out there. And I think that, you know, it's, um, you know we're, we're putting people down when we say, well, we're going to bring work back from overseas, and then we're going to try and fill the jobs with them because the people in this country are so much better than that and much more capable than that. And what I would be saying to them is, Let's train you up. Let's get you up to the next level. Let's make some investment in that, and I guarantee you, um, you know, we'll be able to fill those openings. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think you're right, well, Mike. Well, Mike, we, we at Manufacturing Talk Radio would like to congratulate uh, Potomac Photonics and all of the staff members there. You're doing obviously terrific work. You're on the leading edge of all of the things that manufacturers need to do in order to succeed in, you know, over the course of the next uh, 10 years and onward. So congratulations to all you've done there to, to bring that company forward, making a leading-edge manufacturing operation. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, and I'd love to talk to you guys, and I think what you're doing is, is really, um, you know, it's, it's so admirable and, and, and looking forward to learning more and hearing more from, from both of you. Well, thank you very much for the comments, and uh, uh, there will be a, a time in the future we'll come back to you and see how you progressed. Absolutely. Thank you so much, and I'm looking forward to talking to you again. Thank you. Mike, we'll have, yep. we'll have you on the show again, and we'll be promoting this show on social media. We hope you'll do the same. Uh, Absolutely. Saying, saying all the things that manufacturers need to hear and do. So we'll be talking to you again real soon. Thanks Talk for being in Bye-bye. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. American Crane and Equipment Corporation in Douglasville, Pennsylvania, is a leader in specialized cranes, hoists, and material handling equipment for industries including aerospace, nuclear, oil and gas, transit, construction, and waste handling. Call 877-877-6778 or visit AmericanCrane.com. That's AmericanCrane.com or 877-877-6778. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at SteelForge.com or call... 800-600-9290. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason ThomasNet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it. And it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're speaking with Chad Mutre, Chief Economist from the National Association of Manufacturers, where he serves as NAM's economic forecaster and spokesperson on economic issues. We're very interested for his comments on Brexit trying to find out what's happening there, and how does that impact U.S. manufacturing? Chad, welcome to the show. Great great to be on your show again. Enjoy having you on. You're always well-informed. You've got a lot of great information from NAM. Uh, the whole Brexit thing uh, being up in the air, 
we're trying to determine, does that have a real impact on uh, manufacturing in North America, or is it, in the words of William Shakespeare, much to do about nothing? Well, I think you know, the first thing to keep in mind is that you know, the, U the United Kingdom actually is our fifth largest trading partner. So when you're, when you're looking at important markets for U.S. manufactured products, uh, you know, certainly we sell an awful lot to Britain. Uh, you know, they come after Canada, Mexico, China, and Japan. Um, just for the record, the number six country is, is Germany. So uh, the United, you know, Europe as a whole is, is an important market as well. And, and, in fact, when you look outside of North America, uh, you know, we sell about one out of every five products, uh, manufactured products, to Europe itself. So uh, it's definitely an important market for us to think about. Uh, last year alone, uh, U.S. manufacturers sold uh, $48.6 billion worth of products to the U.K. So, um, so that, that's, I guess that's just a, a nice ground phrase to look at. I mean, I think you know the big the big challenge uh, for us uh, is that you know you know the U.K. just voted for a divorce, right? Uh, divorce divorces are always messy. Uh, it creates it creates an awful lot of uncertainty, uh, and the you know the European Union. Um, it is not going to be. Um, it, it certainly is going to try to make it as difficult as possible. And so I think you know that's from a, from a North American, from a U.S. manufacturing perspective, uncertainty is never a good thing. Um, uh, trade agreements are going to have to be renegotiated. Uh, certainly in, in the short term, you've seen uh, what's happened to the to the British pound. And so you know th those things are obviously uh, what causes some folks some heartburn, I guess, to the extent that there is any. But Chad, uh, it seems as though from a, some comments that I heard yesterday, that being that they really didn't have any plan after the referendum as to what and how they're going to do it, that it could take eight nine months before they actually sit down and have a plan on how to get out, which is going to take two years. Yeah. And uh, the EU is now not happy with that, and they want them out sooner. Well, I think you know, from from the European perspective, they obviously want this. I mean, they want they don't want uncertainty to linger on for years and years. Um, and, and I think also from the UK perspective, they're not going to want it to linger on as, either. So, I think there certainly is an incentive to to move this as quickly as possible. Um, mm -hmm. It does need to be, it, you know, they do have to have structure uh, to it. Um, I think you know. Also, keep in mind that that uh, I think one of the big uncertainties coming into the vote, and certainly after it as well, is the slippery slope phenomenon, right? You know, there are other countries, right. certainly uh, uh, political leaders uh, who are saying, you know, maybe us, maybe us too, right? And so I think that that, that is, is certainly in the back of a, particularly a lot of European uh, policymakers' minds that they, they don't want there to be other countries that that also vote for, for leave. And so that, that, that is essentially where we are. Um, I think, again, from a U.S. manufacturing perspective, uh, in the short term here, Nothing has changed, right? The, U, uh, U, the U.K. is still part of the European Union. Uh, all of the trade agreements uh, that are currently in place are still in place. The regulatory regimes are still in place. Uh, what happens, of course, is, is where we go over the next few months in terms of uh, where, where, where is the U.K. six months from now, where is it two or three years from now, and, and hopefully uh, access to those markets um, are at least the same or improved. Mm. Mm. Uh, what, so, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Luke. No, so I, I was just going to reiterate the Shakespearean quote of yours, that it may all turn out to be nothing. It might. In, I mean, to the extent that our access to Europe uh, and, and right. to the U.K. is not changed, uh, that's it is much ado about nothing, I guess, in that context. Uh, keep in mind, though, I guess, from, a, from the U.K. perspective, about half of their exports go to Europe. Uh, uh, London continues to be uh, the financial center of, of Europe for right now, and so there's certainly a lot of question marks uh, regarding um, companies that are based in London. What is their access, or in the UK? What is their access to Europe going to be? Um, and the biggest impacts, I think, of the Brexit, at least in the short term, are probably going to be in the UK itself. And so, uh, much of certainly in the days following the vote. Much of the worry that's out there about the U.K. economy really stemmed a lot from what is the U.K.'s place um, in, the, in, the, in the global economy, and, and has it shifted? Has, 
it will you know will the Euro- European Union continue to uh, be their largest customer, and, and how does that affect their overall economy? And I think that that those are still some question marks that are out there. Um, that I think certainly I think from from a short term perspective, the European the UK's growth is going to slow from where it, where it was before the vote. Uh, in the long term, it might not change that much, but in the short term, yeah. there's still a lot of questions out there. There is a, a discussion that I heard uh, within the last couple of days that um, there's a calling for an analysis of the uh, particular products that are being uh, imported to the EU from the UK and to see as to whether or not the EU can create those same industries within the EU and away from the UK yeah. and start doing less importing from the U.K. and have more uh, uh, more continent manufacturing, which uh, that will sure leave uh, the Brits in a fine how do you do. I mean, that's that's obviously the worry is that that access uh, and those those products that they're currently selling to the EU won't be there. Um, and if that's the case, right. then the U.K. is going to have to find other markets for those products. Um, right. I mean, just looking, you know, in terms of our exports to the U.K., uh, you know, certainly a lot of transportation equipment, including air, aircraft and motor vehicles, uh, chemicals mm-hmm. and pharmaceuticals are huge uh, for our selling to them, machinery. So just, you know, a lot of products, um, a lot of companies in the U.S. really have a vested interest there. Um, sure. The, the other thing I think to keep in mind, I kind of mentioned earlier, the pound. Uh, the pound right away uh, uh, fell about 14% or so in the days after the vote. Uh, right. We've seen, uh, particularly given the announcement of the new prime minister, given the fact that the Bank of England chose to keep interest rates unchanged, uh, we've seen the pound currently uh, uh, down about 10% from where it was on, on June 23rd. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, in, in a larger context, uh, you know, this continues, I think, a larger trend for for U.S. manufacturers, and that is that the dollar continues to remain strong. They're looking at where the British pound is, and certainly that's going to be a little harder for us to sell our products into the U.K. Um, on the flip side, that probably helps U.K. manufacturers, right, because uh, sure. a cheaper a cheaper pound means that they can be more cost competitive, and so that will be a little bit of a cushion for their economy uh, in, in that the pound has fallen, or again, roughly 10% since the vote. Um, uh, on, on a nice positive side, uh, if you haven't refinanced your mortgage, it's a good time to do so. So certainly the, the U.S. has been uh, a safe haven for investments, and that's pushed uh, uh, interest rates to historic lows. And so we also have a little bit of a cushion for the U.S. economy from Brexit as well. Chan, how about your sense of the U.K. itself? Does it remain a U.K., a United Kingdom, or does Scotland and then mm-hmm. Ireland decide they really want to be with the EU and try to break away. Well, I mean, that that is, is, is out there as well. I mean, certainly, I think, you know, moving into the vote, I think those of those who were saying that uh, the U.K. would vote to remain were looking really at this slippery slope and saying, um, you know, not only would other countries choose to leave the EU, but, you know, you certainly have Scotland, which is out there pretty vocally saying that they might want to have another referendum. Um, I, I, again, I think a lot of those question marks are out there, and a lot will hinge on uh, what happens over the coming months with the new Prime Minister, Theresa May, and, and what, what happens um, in terms of just how aggressive the EU is in terms of that negotiation process. Um, so I, I think, again, a lot of those questions are still out there. Uh, I, I don't have the answers any more than you do uh, in terms of, of, of whether the U.K. will still stay the U.K., uh, but you certainly were hearing an awful lot of rhetoric coming out of Scotland in the days after the vote about their, their desire to have a, um, another referendum as well. How is how is Europe doing now economically, Chad? Is it you know some of the countries are in the doldrums? Greece was in the basement. Uh, is the uh, EU doing better now as the economy moves forward? So you know one of the real ironies um, is that on the day of the vote, which was June 23rd. Uh, market, M-A-R-K-I-T, put out uh, their, their sentiment surveys for Europe, and it was at, at all at, at its highest point so far this year. So you actually were seeing some progress prior to the vote. You're seeing modest growth, particularly in the U.K. and in Germany. Uh, and so you were seeing some, some slight movement in, in the right direction for Europe. 
They're, they're going to grow roughly 1.7, 1 1.8% this year. Their unemployment rate fell to 10.1%. Now, that's still a high number, but it's the lowest it's been really since the Great Recession. Um, so you were starting to see some signs of movement in the right direction in, 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 in the Europe as, it's, as a whole. Uh, even even if um, I think you know those ongoing challenges still are there. I mean, you're, again, they're only growing 1.7%. They were having a lot of deflationary worries, um, and, and and enough of those concerns are out there. Um, I haven't even talked about the whole migrant uh, issue. Uh, that the European Central Bank uh, is still going to continue to be quite stimulative when it comes to growth, uh, certainly for the foreseeable future. The balance. The balance of trade issue uh, in this country, where we're now at, I think, a 42 billion dollar uh, trade deficit uh, as of the recent report, uh, which, of course, uh, we would like to see our trade deficit number drop and do more export. But we have, uh, and, and this is a little bit off topic, but it kind of relates that uh, XM Bank is still not uh, fully functional yeah. uh, due, due to one particular congressman, particularly. And uh, it certainly would be a help if uh, XM Bank was fully funded so that we could attempt to do bigger deals uh, over that $10 million cap that's on there right now and be able to sell more to uh, Europe and uh, other places, but particularly Europe, because the, the dollar is strong, but it's come down a little bit. Uh, it may well be that uh, this could be a good time for our um, Department of Congress, uh, Department of Commerce, to help promote more export-oriented thinking. Uh, they o they always talk a good game, but it, it you know they, when they did away with the Disc Corporation, uh, which was I think one of the greatest things that they did you know back in the 90s for export, uh, we should have some incentives uh, to be doing more export, particularly to Europe. Uh, any thoughts on that? I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I, that was that was great. I mean, uh, we we definitely agree. We we think that you know we we pushed hard to get the ex export import bank reauthorized last year. We had right. a huge win there. Uh, but right now they don't have a quorum, and I and, and and as you noted, that that really limits our ability to do export finance. Um, right. We're we're losing business right now. I mean, keep in mind. There are 60 other export finance agencies around the world that are very eager to take that business away from us. And, and without sure. the ability to make that, that, those, that, those export credit lines, um, we really are hurting ourselves to be competitive globally. Um, we're hopeful we can get a resolution of that soon. Uh, but in the larger context of where you were going with your question, there's just a whole heck of a lot we can do to make ourselves more competitive globally. Um, sure. As you know, we put out something earlier in the year called Competing to Win, which really lays out mm -hmm. our priorities from a policy perspective. That, so that includes trade, uh, but it also includes right. tax reform and regulatory reform and, and workforce and infrastructure and a whole host of other issues. Uh, it's this is, all this is, one this, big ball. This is, this is really our opportunity right now to put policies into place that can make us more competitive. And, and in, at a time when we are seeing struggles around the world economically, at a time when the dollars appreciated roughly 20% over the last two years, we need, uh, you know, manufacturers in the U.S. really need everything we can to make us more competitive. And uh, export XM is one part of that, but. Um, you know, we need trade agreements. Certainly, that the TPP is something that's a huge priority for us. Um, uh, but there's a whole host of uh, other issues, I think, which are our, our priorities as well. Well, anywhere that uh, manufacturing talk radio can uh, help, aid, and participate with them, we're more than willing to do as we have uh, in the past. Um, I just I'd like to bring up your your. Uh, Monday reports sure. uh, and your Tuesday reports. First of all, Tim and I, we race to work to get your uh, incredible uh, writings and wisdom of what happened last week. And uh, you're, you're right on the mark. Uh, we both really enjoy reading it. And uh, uh, it, it's, uh, it's a great quick read. Uh, and I think that listeners... Uh, can get a benefit if you'd like to give the URL address sure. for signing up to that uh, Monday 
economic report and the Tuesday economic report, uh, please do so. So I guess the URL, I mean, they're, they're certainly on our, our website. That's www.nam.org. Uh, but, but also, if you're a manufacturer, feel free to email me. We can always add you to that list. Uh, my email is cmutray, C-M-O-U-T-R-A-Y, at nam.org, and, and we can add anyone to that list. Great. Thank can, you. Can just to wrap things up, uh, in view of those Monday and Tuesday reports, how do we look? How does the U.S. look going forward? probably from now through the end of the year. Well, I think, you know, the, the, we certainly have we, – the, the sector in general continues to be very challenged. So if you look at industrial production, uh, we've been relatively stagnant over the last 12 months. Um, my view is we're not in a recession, uh, but we're certainly not growing to any extent, to the extent we would like to. Um, on the positive side, that we have started to see some signs that at least sentiment is moving in the right direction. We've had uh, – four straight months now where the ISM, the Institute for Supply Management's purchasing manager's number, was over 50. So we've expanded for four straight months, primarily on stronger demand and, and production. Uh, and uh, our own survey that we do on a quarterly basis also showed a little bit of, a, of an uptick in the June survey. So, uh, you know, I'm, I tend to be more of a glass-half-full guy, and, and, and I see a little bit better progress in the second half. Uh, my forecast for GDP for the year is roughly 2%. Uh, and I see manufacturing production growing between 1% and 1.5% this year. So that certainly points to a little bit better second half than what we saw in the first half. Right, right. Well, we'll happily uh, take 2%, and, yeah. and we appreciate you taking the time to be with us again on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Yeah, anytime, anytime. The nice way to end it on a positive note, right? Absolutely. Yes, right. Absolutely. Thank you, Chad. Thank you. Thanks again. Bye -bye. And we've been speaking with Chad Lutre, who's Chief Economist for the National Association of Manufacturers. He gave us some great information. And as Lou pointed out, he puts out a Monday morning and Tuesday morning report. We encourage everybody to go to nam.org to get those reports. We read them with great interest. They're very well written and incredibly accurate. That wraps us up for this segment of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Well, that uh, was uh, some incredibly interesting information from uh, both of our guests, Lou. Uh, I know that yeah. we've got another great show coming up next week, but these, these guys were a wealth of knowledge. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, they, they both are uh, leading edge. Uh, Chad, uh, uh, actually, I wasn't uh, aware of their quarterly uh, uh, forecast. Um, I guess I... I'm falling behind in my reading material, um, but uh, they're, they're very bright. And NAM, of course, is uh, something that all of our manufacturing uh, uh, listeners should be a member of. They're out there fighting for you, uh, they, and they even win uh, often. So uh, that said, uh, you all ought to go take a look at nam.org and uh, check it out. Uh, that being said, uh, next week uh, we are going to have um, where am I? Next week we're going to have Chandra Mueller. She's a co-author of a Cornell University study called Manufacturing Gender Inequality in the New Economy. Uh, another problem to be dealt with. Um, and we're also going to have Antoine Van Actemal, who is a senior advisor at Garten Rothkopf International Advisory Firm, and he's also a trustee of the Brookings Institution. Um, and he had written a book called The Smartest Places on Earth, and basically what they're talking about is how to revitalize the failing Rust Belt cities in America and in Europe. So that should be a rather uh, interesting uh, uh, dialogue on seeing how uh, Ohio, Illinois, and all the rest of the mid-Rust Belt states and cities uh, need to be revised, uh, revitalized, including Michigan. I saw some recent films of uh, Detroit where they had all the old um, automotive manufacturing plants. And 
the buildings actually have trees growing on the roof roofs of some of these buildings. I mean, it's an absolute disaster, and uh, it's it's time that we uh, Americans, government, and so on, take care of these situations and put us back uh, where we belong at the top of the heap. Tim. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, I also want to mention to our listeners that shortly we're going to have a newsletter coming out, uh, Metals and Manufacturing Outlook. We put it out every month. It comes out through our show sponsor, All Metals and Forge Group. If you're not signed up for that newsletter, you might want to go to their website address, which is steelforge.com, S-T-E-E-L-F-O-R-G-E.com and register for Metals and Manufacturing Outlook. It's kind of a summary of everything that's going on in metals and manufacturing for a whole month. It is about 20 pages of information, so it's quite thorough. So get signed up for Metals and Manufacturing Outlook, and we'll be back again with you next week for Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at msgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.